Welcome to the Emerging Minds podcast. You're with Dan Moss and today I'm speaking with Monia Merch, a psychotherapist who works with individuals and families impacted by gambling-related harm, childhood adverse experiences and psychological distress at Relationships Australia South Australia Gambling Health Service. Monia has been working in health for over 15 years after completing studies in social sciences and later training and specialising in addiction, trauma-informed practice and perinatal mental health. In today's episode, we discuss the impacts of gambling and how it affects parents and children's mental health and well-being. We also discuss how practitioners can build trust and use a strengths perspective when working with parents with gambling issues to support parenting and improve outcomes for children's social and emotional well-being. Welcome, Monia. Hello, Dan. Um, and maybe we could start off by asking you to, to describe the, the service that you work in um, and the role that you have within that service. So I work in Relationship Australia South Australia within the Gambling Help Service and uh, the Gambling Help Service offers support to people that experience adverse consequences of gambling related harm. So the service has been in place in South Australia since 1995. We are currently quite a large team. We have different offices in Adelaide. We have qualified practitioners, counsellors, financial counsellors and peer workers as well. So we work with individuals that are experiencing gambling harm and uh, this um, can be family members, it can be friends it can be also you know just an individual that is gambling or gambling in a way which is not supportive so that is very much you know who we are Mm, okay so can you tell me a bit about what gambling harm is and its impact on a person um, particularly um, a parent's uh, mental health or well-being the definition of gambling harm is actually quite important um, really to understand the nature of gambling and the impact on individuals and society, the broader society. So the one that I consider as a definition, the more comprehensive that really describes the extent of um, gambling related harm is actually the New Zealand um, Gambling Act where we look at gambling harm as any gambling behaviour that is basically arising or caused or exacerbated by a person's gambling. So what is important in understanding this is also that gambling doesn't happen in, um, in isolation and that we have several domains of harm. So the domains of harm that they tend to come to the attention of services to start with is generally financial losses, so financial harm. However, the way that I will um, invite people to actually pay more attention and consider harm is actually in which way gambling harm or gambling related harm, adverse consequences of gambling, have severe impact on relationships, on um, health, physical and mental health of individuals and families. And so we really have to pay more attention of the consequences which are at a relational level rather than only financial. Of course, financial pressure can strain relationships as well. But over time, what I've been observing is very much perhaps a lack of understanding of the severity of losses when it comes to um, divorce or um, losses of loved ones and also, you know, situations of homelessness where people then, you know, just like are really um, in very 
delicate and precarious situations, very difficult to come out from. Mm. So Monia, can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the reasons uh, parents develop issues with gambling? And is there a connection between people's experience of trauma and gambling behaviour? Okay, so some of the reasons, you know, just, you know, why do people gamble? I mean, you know, that's, I guess, one of the questions that, you know, most people or, you know, even people that do engage in gambling behaviours do ask themselves, you know, why gambling? I would say that over time, one of the main themes that comes, you know, to the fore in speaking or working with people experiencing gambling harm is that gambling, not unlike, you know, substances or alcohol um, misuse, is very much in terms of are seeking relief from situations or emotions that feel uncomfortable for high levels of distress or tension, um, from financial pressures we were saying before, even sometimes worries and demands. If we look at parenting, for instance, something that is not often considered is you know, the pressure of being a new parent, for instance. And what I observe over time is new parents um, navigating parenthood, you know, changes of roles or situations we can be very demanding and legitimately bringing up a lot of distress at different levels uh, and a lot of vulnerability. Gambling can seemingly um, feel in, you know, their need of seeking relief or self-soothing for the parent. Mm. Is there a socioeconomic connection to uh, people's use of, of gambling? That's a great question. So what happens, and it is one of those areas that is not really often talked about, is very much the relationship between low socioeconomic status and uh, the greater harm that people experience in terms of also not only accessibility of venues in areas which are more disadvantaged, which we have higher uh, density of venues in those areas, but also in terms of one thing that we have to look at when we look at low socioeconomic economic, economic status is very much, you know, a sense of oppression, disadvantage that comes also with discrimination at times. So again, you know, gambling unfortunately in its exploitative element offers that illusion that people can uh, access more resources, can perhaps change their situation. And so gambling may appear or can appear to people as a way out of disadvantage. In reality, what it does, as we know, it actually cements people in poverty and loss. And actually, you know, that becomes really accumulates in terms of, you know, uh, negative experiences or adverse experiences that people already struggling with adverse or disadvantage predicament then have to, to work with as well. Mm. And I suppose an under-researched area is the effect of uh, children on, on gambling habits of, of parents. Can you tell us what you know about that? When it comes to gambling and uh, the impact or what is the negative impact in terms of the yadic relationship or relationship parent-infant, parent-young children, um, there's not much research at the moment and it is something that we really perhaps need to pay a little bit more attention given what we know in other fields like you know, human development or infant well-being and um, development. As I was mentioning before, when we look at, um, if we look at parents experiencing, for instance, you know, perinatal depression, we really know the, the consequences or possible consequences on child development and future outcomes. Now, depression can be a consequence of gambling harm and the way that we look at it is very much in terms of 
at times parents, you know, from observation, what I see can use gambling as a way not to experience negative emotions or not experience emotions or emotional states which are challenging or depressive states. But oftentimes what can happen as well is that if the gambling escalates, then, you know, just like due to losses, due to financial strain, due to marital conflict, then we can have depressive state. And as we know, the association in terms of depression, parenting, and then infants or young children well-being is quite complex and is something that we need to pay more attention. Mm. So is what you're saying sometimes gambling can be a symptom of parents' mental health or poverty or uh, other issues rather than just the cause of those things? Um, yeah, actually, you know, I, as I was saying before, you know, just like if we look at gambling as a symptoms or as a way that people seek to look for a distraction, yeah, from what they're experiencing as perhaps um, intensity in their life or tension or emotional and psychological distress, and that is, and gambling then seemingly feels in their need for relief or their need for self-soothing or their need for just as people often use the word escape mm. from you know the intensity of life at that point in time. Um, obviously by engaging in that behavior there are a lot of unwanted or unintended consequences that we mentioned before. Yeah. Mm. So when you work with uh, parents um, within your service, uh, do you find that children are a motivating factor in them wanting to make uh, changes in their relationship with gambling? Well, you know, oftentimes what we observe or what I observe, you know, working with people is certainly, you know, the well-being of the children or um, the fear of losing their family becomes one of the highest, you know, reason um, or the highest reason why they access services and they actually seek help. Again, you know, just like children are a motivation, I work or I've been working with new fathers and there is a lot of anxiety, fear in terms, you know, how is my relationship going to look like with my child? Um, so, you know, really the willingness to do things differently is present. Obviously, there are a lot of challenges because, you know, they may want to do things differently, but there is a lot of other uh, distress that can be present. I think earlier on you asked about, you know, is trauma present? In, and um, what, we, what we're seeing over time is that a lot of times, you know, there will be adverse experiences in an early childhood or also in, um, in adulthood. Uh, the correlation with um, domestic violence and gambling is very high. So, you know, of course, we work with uh, the gambling as a symptom of distress, but then we also have to work with the relationship with, with the child, with the infant, which, you know, is two different ways to engage with a person at that point in time. But going back to it is a motivating factor. Yes, it is. You know, people do want to be there. They want to engage better. They want to understand why they're doing or what's happening to them. Why all of a sudden, you know, that behavior has become quite different from what they know themselves to be. And how can they be there more for their children? Again, you know, to allow the children to have a life that it doesn't have to be so, um, you know, disadvantaged or full of distress of different sort. 
Mm. I'm just thinking about all of the um, issues that, um, you know, you mentioned before new fathers might come into the door with, you know, you mentioned, you know, parenting, of course, gambling, um, domestic and family violence. Does this mean that the, the practitioners that work in your service need to develop many different competencies and skills? Absolutely. When I started in the field, um, you know, working with people affected by gambling harm, I didn't think that the work was going to present, you know, such a level of complexity. But I do find having worked also in, um, you know, with um, previously trauma and uh, scenarios where there were different addictions, I do find the gambling, um, gambling related harm to be actually really more complex in terms of what do people present with, what is that they're struggling with, uh, different layers of working with people and so yeah, we need to be able to, you know, allow a space where uh, people can trust us to support them. Uh, where they're at and in the way that best supports them as well. Mm. And so you mentioned before that, that um, lots of your um, clients were feeling a level of distress or worry about what this meant for their relationships with yeah. children. What is the role of stigma and shame uh, playing conversations with these clients, um, uh, particularly about uh, uh, their children's social and emotional well-being? Yeah, so what is the impact of stigma and shame? And again, you know, so stigma, I will kind of broaden the conversation in terms, you know, when we use the word stigma, often what we um, we leave out is our words or descriptions of oppression, again, discrimination and prejudice. So we are looking not at the individual level, but also at the community level. Um, so stigma also in terms when it comes to gambling, if you think about even pejorative language and stereotypes that I used to describe people if there is something that is identified as being a gambling problem. So the stigma is very high, you know, there are stereotypes that we need to um, drop, if, so, if I can say so. And as a community, we need to understand and allow people to work with what is that they're struggling with. And shame, of course, is also very pervasive, like in any other behaviour that we describe as addiction, so we refer to as addiction, also when it comes to gambling, shame is very pervasive and what shame does or what that shame feeds in terms of parents is isolation, is withdrawing from you know, connection with family members or community, uh, which again in terms, you know, what does that mean for the young children is that the children are isolated, they don't have access to resources they could have access to, they don't have access to perhaps also, you know, other important connections for their development or um, safe spaces as well. So very often what shame and stigma do is really to, for a better word, to shrink the life of the person, to shrink the life of the family. And so everything, you know, um, the environment is really altered and is you know, not supportive of the parent or the child. So in conversation with people experiencing gambling harm, we really look at you know, just um, how to work with shame, how to actually understand you know, for themselves to understand you know, what's happening and how they can do things differently. And then also as a service, we work at a community level to, again, as I was saying before, to bring a different understanding of gambling harm and so also, you know, taking down stereotypes around people and why they do what they do or why they don't do what they don't mm. do. 
Yeah, so I really want to kind of stay with this point for, for a second, if that's okay, because um, it seems to me that uh, you, you certainly, your practitioners and yourself are doing whatever you can not to kind of buy in or collude with that sense of shame for parents, but at the same time wanting to really stay present to the effects of what's happening for children. Like, so how do you kind of manage that? We want to support people to make different choices if that's what they want to do in their own time and space. So we want to offer that space. At the same time, we have to be acutely aware of the impact on infants with very young children. So how do how we collaborate and how we work in a way which is really extremely respectful and, you know, again, family sensitive, but also that awareness of what what does an infant need? What is important in terms of, you know, for the parent, perhaps, um, and no, perhaps I'm quite sure when one is very preoccupied about gambling or losses or conflict, you know, the situations um, of high conflict within the family and the couple, very often infants in particular become invisible. So as a practitioner, although I have extreme, you know, I hold the space for the person, I also have to make space for the infant or the young child to be really visible in what they require, in what is needed, in how a behavior can affect on the well-being of the child. So, you know, it's really in, in, in a very respectful way and a collaborative way to, to hold a space where we, mm. you know, that one doesn't have to exclude the other, um, but we can certainly support, you know, that visibility for the parent, you know, um, again, you know, most of us, when we are really distressed, distracted, you know, we tend not to pay as much attention or care. Uh, we tend to become less responsive to, mm. to young children or in particular infants, where the relationship is really the core mm. of, of their well-being. You know, the relationship with the caregiver is the environment, is what they survive with. Mm. And I suppose that must be a real challenge for some parents as they start to slowly become more aware of maybe some of the effects of their gambling um, and other associated behaviours on their infant or child. Look, it is. It is always very challenging. And that's why the, the work that we do is, um, as I was saying before, at a pace and offering space to the parent to work with what they can work with at that point in time. As you know, shame can be really crushing as an emotion, can be really paralyzing. And so, you know, we want the person to be able to start, you know, moving out of it in a way that then, you know, becomes really supportive of their relationships, all their relationships and the young children. So, you know, if we move gently and slowly in that process, then people are able to, to start considering looking, realizing, reflecting on the, on the negative consequences of uh, adverse consequences on the children as well, and how important it is to do things differently. It may not always happen, but you know, and that's the reality of things. On the other hand, also as some remind us, you know, the fact that there is gambling, that's where I don't want to kind of stereotype again, you know, something or a behavior is that it doesn't mean that because there is gambling, that parents are not attentive, that they're not nurturing, that they're not caring. You know, we have to be really careful. That's why, as I said, it is really um, a very sensitive and gentle way to work with people because every family responds in different ways. Every child responds in different ways. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about um, either the similarities or differences in the way that mothers or fathers present to the service? You know, that's, 
very interesting question. Okay, um, do they present differently? I guess again, I don't want to fall into stereotypes in terms, yeah. you know, who is the nurturing type and who yeah. is not and why. Generalizing, you can say that there could be overtly women tend to express more shame around their gambling if it is present. Because again, there is that assumption that they should be more present and more nurturing with their children. Fathers or men tend sometimes to normalize the behavior as something that it is ex expected. You know, you go out and you play sport and you, you know, bet online. It's something that is at times more normalized. However, over time, I haven't seen much difference in truth in terms of how people talk about the gambling or the fear in terms of the impact of their behavior on their children. And if anything else, over time, I would say I've seen fathers being way more anxious and fearful of how their behavior can have an impact on their children. Mm. And do children ever attend services uh, with their parents? Um, the gambling help service is another service. However, over time, you know, just as I was saying before, um, I guess, you know, I've been having a lot of possibilities to see parents and young children interactions in particular with infants or toddlers. Um, so th there is a possibility for us to have an assessment and I find that to be really, or to observe, you know, to have sessions where we have parents and children and families at times. So what happens is that with that we are also, you know, gives us a chance to, to also, you know, more effectively uh, refer people to, to other services and uh, how to best support them, you know, if that is liaising them with another service which is more children specific or more, as I was saying, like in, um, in Australia we don't have specialised aiatic intervention, I love for that to be there. Um, something I think that is developing elsewhere, maybe in Victoria they're doing something along the line, but you know, it's really we can do that occasionally, but we're still mainly an adult service. Okay. I just want to uh, touch on your supervisory role um, in the service for a minute, Monia, because I suppose as practitioners, uh, none of us sit outside this kind of uh, tendency to judge mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. um, or kind of um, stereotype, as you say, mm -hmm. parents because of uh, the effects their gambling might be having on their children. How do you, as a um, senior practitioner, support staff to ensure that they constantly um, adhere to a strength perspective or, or to a kind of that sense of respect that you talked about before? Yeah, yeah. You know, that's an interesting one because, you know, in a way, I, I, I really, you know, the, what I find very supportive is how day-to-day in -day, you know, our interactions with anyone within, you know, people we work with, the language we use. So, you know, it's not only the language you use in a session with the person you're working with, with a parent or the parents, but also in day-to-day -day conversations with your colleagues, you know, how we refer, like, you know, how we talk in our conversations, you know, out of the counselling room, you know, about, about a person that has presented to the service. I'll give you an example, like sometimes, you know, uh, referring to people as addicts or gamblers. You see, to me, that falls again in that pejorative language where we're actually not really having a conversation, you know, with a colleague, with, a, with another practitioner, in terms of what is the person experiencing, but we are, um, yeah, it's another way of labelling and stereotyping people. So see, even in, let's say, very small interactions with people, you can already start introducing a language which is more respectful and certainly more holding of people's experiences at that point in time. 
And then, you know, as, as you well know, it's very much in terms, you know, all of us, it's not only who we are and how we relate to others, but there are different models, you know, that we work with people. And some people may, may just, you know, prefer a model where there is more a tendency of pathologizing people. Uh, I'm very clear that that's not the way I work with people. So, you know, when you say, how do I support others? I introduce the possibility actually to look at gambling and resistance as a symptoms or something, something else. So I work with people in a way of what has happened to people, uh, what is happening, uh, how can people do things differently, rather than going into a pathology. As I was saying before, I look at it from, you know, really more of a social health perspective rather than um, an individual trait or an individual fault, um, which I do find is actually, in particular also with gambling, doesn't distract us from what I said before, the exploitative nature of the gambling, which actually is exploiting people's vulnerabilities as well. Look, that's fantastic. That's I found that really um, fascinating and insightful. So thank you very much for your time. Well, thank you for having me. Visit our website at www.emergingminds.com.au to access a range of resources to assist your practice. Brought to you by the National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health, led by Emerging Minds, and delivered in partnership with the Australian Institute of Family Studies, the Australian National University, the Parenting Research Centre and the Royal Australian College of General Practitioners. The National Workforce Centre for Child Mental Health is funded by the Australian Government Department of Health under the National Support for Child and Youth Mental Health Programme.